Hi friends, Gerald Law here. Welcome to the Love Lake Norman podcast. Love Lake Norman is a church in Cornelius, North Carolina, whose mission is to help people find and follow Jesus. You're about to hear a message that will be helpful and hopeful. Our goal is to encourage you to take the next step in your faith. Wherever you are, we want you to know that God has a plan and a purpose for you. Thanks for spending time with us today. We hope you enjoy this message. We began this series on the life of David last week called uh, The Shadow King. And I'm gonna share a story with you about David today that I, I have heard my whole life. And all of you are familiar with it. I can confidently say that, all of you. Whether you grew up in the church or not, whether you're a Christian or not, because uh, it shows up everywhere. This story shows up absolutely everywhere, not just in the Bible, but in popular culture, in movies, and songs, and stories you, you hear told at like business conferences and self-help seminars. It's been written about in books and talked about in classrooms. It's been an analogy in sports over and over and over again. I mean, man, has it been used in sports, right? Uh, and this story has been acted out in countless like backyards between kids who are looking for an excuse to fight each other. It's so popular because everybody loves a good underdog story. Think of all the sports movies you know, and how many of them rely on this, this narrative, right? An undermanned, less talented, struggling team faces adversity, they get bullied, and, and somehow they beat the highly athletic, well-coached, incredibly funded, big time program. Think Hoosiers or remember the Titans or facing the Giants, Rudy, and like the list goes on and on. If you don't like the sports movie analogy, like don't worry, it shows up in other movies too. Star Wars, for instance, where a ragtag outfit beats up on the evil empire. Indiana Jones, where he's always escaping by the skin of his teeth as he faces uh, like, like nearly insurmountable odds every time. All the Marvel movies, basically, where, where even the superheroes end up overwhelmed by the seemingly undefeatable villains like Thanos, you know, and all those guys. Or don't worry, I don't want to leave out, uh, I'll give anyone out. So if, you're a, if rom-coms are more your speed, it's in movies like Can't Buy Me Love where a young, nerdy Patrick Dempsey ends up getting the popular, beautiful girl against all odds, which when you realize he end up, ended up becoming Dr. McDreamy on Grey's Anatomy, the story kind of loses its punch. But it's why we cheer for George in Seinfeld and Dwight and Michael in The Office. We love a good underdog story. But today, as we dig into the incredibly familiar story of David and Goliath, I want to take a different angle. Uh, I believe it deserves a different angle. There are things that we can learn from David in this story about being an underdog. Absolutely, that's for sure. But, but this is primarily a story about God, not us. Now, this series is called The Shadow King. Because David, as, as imperfect as he was, was the foreshadowing of the coming King of Kings, the Messiah, the Savior, who would take on the sins of the world, Jesus himself. And, and there's, there's someone that we're like in this story, but it's not David. Now, the story begins in 1 Samuel chapter 17. It goes like this. Now the, the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephes, Danum, between Soko and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill 
and the Israelites occupied another with a valley between them. So the, the Philistines were a group of people who had migrated from Greece to the land of Canaan and they had settled there. They brought advanced technology with them in the form of iron weapons and armor, which the Israelites by and large did not have. And they came looking for a fight. It goes on to say that a champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and his iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. So, so we learn here that Goliath was a champion. He was specially trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He was like massive. Some have said he was upwards of nine feet tall based on those measurements that were given. And, and he had all of this armor on. So, so he's different than the Israelites. They were on average five and a half feet tall. They didn't have all of this armor or all of these weapons. And like no doubt about it, he was intimidating. And so Goliath stands in front of the army of Israel and eggs them on. He challenges them. Says that Goliath stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. And we see some things about Goliath right off the bat. And the first one is this. He's arrogant. He's full of himself. He, he's grown up in a world that's all about strength and speed and violence. And, and he has it all. Like he's the best of the best. Everybody comments on it around him all the time, night and day. He lives in a world where everything has revolved around him. He's arrogant. Also, we see that he's defiant. He's aggressive. He's, he's challenging he and his people have come looking for a fight and, he, and he's making it so that Israel has no choice but to do something about it. He's defying the leadership of Israel to their face. And he's not only defiant, he's, he's also an enemy of God. He says, today I defy the armies of Israel. He might as well stand up and say to God's face, today I defy you, God, because that's what he's doing. He's arrogant, he's defiant, and he's an enemy of God. Now, needless to say, this kind of freaked people out, including Saul the king, who was also, by the way, known as a tall, strong guy. Samuel records that they were all dismayed and terrified. They don't know what to do. These guys, not, not only Goliath, but all of them are huge. They're equipped for battle and they are looking for blood. But then David shows up. We met him last week, but, but we see Jesse's firstborn son, Eliab, again, and, and then Abinadab, and then the third, Shammah. They were all at the battlefield. And then David, the youngest, was going back and forth from Saul to the, and the army to tend his father's sheep in Bethlehem. And so, so 40 days go by, Goliath came out every single morning, said the same thing. And for 40 days, no Israelite would step out and meet the challenge. So Jesse said to David, hey, take some food to your brothers at the camp and see how they're doing and report back to me. I want to I make sure that they are all right. And so David goes to do that. He, he reaches the battle positions and he sees Goliath come out and shout out his defiance to the army of Israel. He's been doing this, like I said, every single day 
But this was the first time David had actually heard it himself. The Israelites did what they'd been doing every day. They like, they ran away. They, they cowered in fear. But David, this young kid, he hears it and he responds with what's in his gut. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David finally says what was probably on the other, other people's minds, but they didn't have the guts to say it. Verse 28 says, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him. And he asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. I mean, nothing like a sibling, sibling rivalry, right? But this sounds like more than just brother versus brother. Eliab was the one who had been passed over first when David was anointed king. And he's been thinking all along, that should have been me. It's amazing how fast conceit gets to us. One day, Eliab has no idea that somebody from his family is going to be king. He has no clue. And the next day, he's full of resentment because it wasn't him. How fast resentment can grow in us, even when things, with things that we don't even deserve. And so he tells David, he doesn't belong here. He questions whether he's doing his job or not. And he calls him conceited and wicked. I wonder if maybe Eliab's actually mad at God, not his brother David. And so the word gets back to King Saul of what David said. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that, that he should defy the armies of the living God? Word gets back to Saul. Like that apparently had hit home with the soldiers around him. They were like, yeah. And it became sort of a rallying cry. And word gets back to the king. And, and the king Saul sends for David. Verse 32 says that David said to Saul, let, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. To which Saul replies, like, you can't go do that. You're only a young guy. And this, this man has been a warrior since he was younger than you. But David says this. He goes, I, look, I've fought off wild animals from my father's flock, lions and bears. I've, I've killed them both, protecting those sheep. And that Philistine, he's just like one of those wild animals. God's going to give me success with him too. To which Saul replied, go. And the Lord be with you. And, and, and let's remember this. Saul, like I said, is known as a big guy. In fact, he's so big that he offers David his armor and a helmet and his sword. And they're too big for David. They don't fit him. So David leaves them behind. And Saul's correct response to David should have been, I will go and fight him. I will go and do it for our people. He was the biggest one of them all in stature. But a couple of things were going on in Saul. One was that, he was genuinely afraid. He didn't have David's same faith that God was on their side. He didn't know if he would be able to defeat the giant and he wasn't going to test that out. And the second thing was this, he knew David had been anointed by Samuel as king. He was likely already considering how he might just get David here out of the way. What better opportunity than this? He wouldn't have to lift a finger. Goliath would do the work for him. And so he lets David go out to challenge the giant. And David went. Verse 40, then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream. And he put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and he saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. 
He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And it's, it's kind of like the ultimate good versus evil underdog story, right? I mean, maybe not the ultimate one, maybe a precursor to the ultimate one. Verse 45, David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And you know the rest of the story, right? David runs up, takes a stone out of his bag, he puts it in the sling, and he slings it, hitting Goliath in the forehead. Goliath falls face down. And David runs up, and he takes the giant's sword from him, and he finishes the job. When the Philistine soldiers saw what he, that he was dead, Goliath was, and they turned and they ran, and the men of Israel chased them down and routed their army. And David gains a reputation as a fierce warrior and a noble leader, just like that. And look, there are things we can learn about being the underdog. There are elements of David's actions that are brilliant and incredible and bold leadership and faith-filled and brave. And we should all strive to be all of those things, faith-filled, brave, courageous men and women. But can I say something that maybe no one has ever said to you before about this story? In this story, you're not David and neither am I. In fact, you know who we have more in common with than David? The big guy, Goliath. Because left to our own devices, let's be honest, left to our own without God, and, and maybe you're a Christian now, but before you came to Christ, you and I were just like Goliath. Without the grace and peace and forgiveness of Christ, we will ultimately, ultimately turn into monsters. Goliath was arrogant, so are we. Like Goliath, we're arrogant. The, the, the words uh, arrogance, haughtiness, and pride, th those words are mentioned over 200 times in the Bible. And every time it basically talks about how much God detests arrogance and pride and how much that is a part of our lives that, that, that God wants to get rid of. Paul tells us in the book of Philippians to uh, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. All of us before we come to Christ, have an attitude that we can make it ourselves, that it's all up to me, that I can do it all on my own. And that is at its core pride. It is spiritual arrogance to think that you don't need God. Also though, like Goliath, we're defiant. Paul says in the book of Romans, there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You can't go far in uh, life living in defiance of God and sin, which is ultimately selfishness, doing what you wanna do when you wanna do it, regardless of God, is rebellion, it's defiance. And there's no escaping this fact. All of us have been there, all of us are there, if not for the grace of God. And those things put us in this place that like Goliath, we're enemies of God. 
This may sound extreme, but before you turned to God, and if you have not accepted Christ's death and resurrection as something that he did for you, you are currently sitting in Goliath's side, like in the enemy's camp, even if you didn't realize it. Because in our own sin, we can't help but be in opposition to God. But here's what Paul says. For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we be saved through his life? Romans 5.10. Before we get to the really good news that Paul brings up, let's understand where we are without God. The scriptures say that we are dead in this condition, like walking dead people, walking zombies. There's nothing that we can do for ourselves. We can't make our lives better on our own. We can't just apply David's five keys for a life of spiritual success to our lives and be okay. We don't just need a Band-Aid. We need a full-on transplant. And some of you know that, that uh, our goddaughter, Maya, has had a heart transplant this week. And it's so unreal and amazing what they can do, what doctors can do, literally giving her physical life through giving her a healthy heart. It's crazy. And what I need for you to see today is that this is what we all need when it comes to our own lives spiritually too. You don't just need a new prescription. You don't just need a new Band-Aid or a checkup. Now and then, you need a heart transplant. And in this, the story of David and Goliath is, is this dim reflection and this foreshadowing of what Jesus was about to do on the cross. We're all in need of these things, of a confrontation. This is what Jesus did. When he took our sin to the cross, he looks us squarely in the eye from that cross and he says, I did this for you. Will you surrender yourself? Will you humble yourself at my cross? Each of us has at, has at some point in life had to deal with the reality of Jesus on, on the cross. Each of us has to at some point. We need to be confronted by that. Likewise, we're all in need of a death. Like ours. As shocking as that may sound, it's true. Goliath has to die. The Goliath in us has to die. Our pride, our ego, our arrogance, and our rebellion. And it has to be crucified with Christ on the cross. In fact, Paul says that very thing when he reflects on what coming to Christ is like. He says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Galatians 2, 20. And on the cross, we died alongside Christ. When we accept what he has done, he says, we are going to crucify your old sinful nature, the old you, right alongside me so that I can live through you now. I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And ultimately, we're all in need of a savior. Israel needed a king and David became that king, however imperfect he was. But Jesus came to be king for all of us. The second David, the king of kings. The angels told us this when Jesus was born. Do you remember this? They said that today they announced it in the town of David, Bethlehem. A savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And it was confirmed over and over and over and over and over again in his life, including at his death. When a Roman soldier's words, an enemy soldier, not so different from the Philistine soldiers who watched him die and then reflected as he watched him die on the cross, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And so the call is not, hey, come, come be like David or, or, or come be like Noah or come be like Abraham, come be an Abraham or a Daniel. It's come and surrender to Jesus. 
It's recognizing that all the work has already been done. He slayed the giants of sin and death and his offer to you is to slay the giant of sin and death in you. To crucify those things on the cross with him. And that means you don't have to fight anymore. You don't have to kick against God anymore. You can just drop the weapons and drop your armor and recognize that you've been fighting God. Stop and simply come to him. You and I aren't the heroes of this story. You see, we just get to come along for the ride, celebrating and and living out and even announcing the fact that Jesus is the hero of heroes. He's the king of kings. He's the coming conqueror and he's our only hope and he is the savior of the world. Let's pray. God, we try so hard sometimes to be our own savior, to be the hero in our own story, the hero in our own life. And every time we try to do that, if we try to do that, we fail because we can't be that. Only you have that place. Only you have that power. Only you have that strength. God, right now, may we come to you laying our, uh, our weapons down, laying our armor down and recognizing that if it wasn't for you, God, we would still be in a place where we were defiant and angry and And even in a place of being an enemy of you, thank you, God, that through Christ, we can be friends of God. We pray that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for listening. You can find out more about Love Lake Norman at lovelkn.org. If you live in our area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday. If you're not near our church, we want to encourage you to find a life-giving church to be a part of where you live. That will be a key next step on your spiritual journey. Please take a minute, subscribe to this podcast, and keep up to date with our weekly messages. And thanks again for joining the Love Lake Norman podcast.